0: Hello and welcome to Life Happens the 87% podcast. Today we are joined by Dee Jazz. Dee has had an extensive career in HR holding senior positions at the BBC, Netta Porter and Girl Effect community. Hi Dee, thanks so much for joining me. Hi. Could you give us a little intro about yourself?
1: Yes, of course. Um, first of all, thanks so much for having me.
0: No problem.
1: Um, it's great to be here. It's a bit of a dreary kind of afternoon. Yes, but it's, it's uh, this, is definitely, this is sunshine in this room, so I'm looking <laughs> at it. Sunshine in the room. So, um, uh, hi everyone, I'm Dee. I uh, am definitely a massive supporter of all the work that 87% does. Um, in terms of mental health, I really, it's a subject that I really care about. I am an I kind of sometimes call myself a recovering HR professional. <laughs> That's a good way to it. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think I stole that from Lucy Adams because she called herself a recovering HR director, and I thought, God, recovering is a really great way to describe it. Um, but uh, no offense to the HR people out there. Uh, I have worked in HR for the majority of my career. Um, and I've been really lucky that I have worked in places such as like TFL, um, the BBC, net a so really seen different styles and types of HR. Um, but more recently, I've actually founded my own business called Colorful, which I know we'll talk about later. So I won't say anything at the moment, except that it focuses on diversity and inclusion, and it has a sweet spot on LGBT inclusion and race. Um, So, yeah, that's me. (laughs)
0: Okay, well, yeah, do leave us in suspense on that one. (laughs) So, Dee, as you said, you've worked in HR for a long time and now you're a diversity specialist, which is amazing. Would you say that the LGBTQ plus community is slightly underrepresented within workplaces?
1: I suppose there's two two parts to my answer, Mm. which is the first is that we assume that everyone who is LGBTQ plus is out at work. Um, and so therefore we've got an accurate read of how much representation there is and we know that's not true that not everyone comes out at work Um, so I think that kind of um, needs to be factored into when we think about representation that in and of itself I think tells us about the experience of LGBTQ Mm -hmm. people at work
0: and just on that point sorry I don't mean Mm -hmm. to ruin your train of thought there but um, on that point you say that um, a lot of people aren't out at work. Mm. Do you sort of have a rough sort of idea of Ooh. how many are out, or if you know, how they feel? About
1: it? Funny you say that. Mm. Here's a little stat. <laughs> no, <laughs> Just I mean, plucked it. yeah, plucked it out of nowhere. <laughs> but no, from um, so looking at the research, so Stonewall did a recent study, mm. um, and I think they said that about a third of LGBT people have hidden their sexuality at work for the fear of discrimination. So if we think one in three of LGBT people isn't declaring or doesn't feel able to share mm. who they are mm. at work. Um, I suppose then it's hard to measure what representation actually exists.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: Yeah. And for me, yeah, like I said, it makes me feel sad actually when I say that because as someone who now feels comfortable being visibly out,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I recognise the benefits it has on my performance and my health, and I can talk about that um, as the podcast goes, but. Uh, yeah, a third of people. For me, that's a really shocking figure, even in twenty nineteen. It's huge. It's yeah.
0: absolutely huge. You know, obviously going on from that, what do you think is the impact upon within the LGBT community's mental health?
1: Mm. Um, in the workplace or in general?
0: Um, I yeah, I'd say both really, but mm. maybe maybe um maybe firstly the workplace and then kind of just generally in society.
1: Mm. I think just from like my own, I suppose, instinctive knowledge, but also just from like data and things that I've registered in the past. Um, So LGBT people are more likely to access mental health services, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think particularly in the workplace, the fact that there are statistics which demonstrate that bullying, harassment and discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation still happens, um, for me means that actually you can see why there might be a correlation between a person's mental health at work um, for a queer person or LGBTQ person. Mm -hmm. I often use the word queer as a kind of shortcut for the spectrum of people um so you can see why that those groups would suffer from Mm -hmm. poorer mental health in the workplace because if you're hiding your identity and not coming out i mean the kind of mental burden and i say this as someone who's done this in the past um that takes the toll that it takes on you is kind of one part of the i suppose the equation the second part is you often, like any minority group does, feels a sense of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So I think that that can place a lot of um, mental burden in the workplace, i.e. I must do really, really well. I can't just be good. I need to be exceptional in order to just be considered good. And then the kind of final piece is around like, some of those bad behaviours that I talked about. Mm-hmm. So if you are on the receiving end of like jokes or banter or um, discriminatory <clears throat> language, that must take a toll on someone. Absolutely.
0: And do you think from from your past experiences and the the past experiences you've seen other people in, has that manifested in why you created Colourful?
1: Definitely. I think um, it touches upon mental health, the fact that it does affect people um, Mm -hmm. from those backgrounds, for sure. It's something that I think I myself have had to learn about, both from my own experiences, but also hearing of other people's experiences. But I think Colourful for me is much more about inclusion, not just at work. But for me, it's also about creating um, acceptance and um, inclusion in society, and communities. I think colourful, um, it does look at race and it does look at LGBTQ communities as separate um, identities. But actually, for me, the magic is actually looking at the intersectionality of those two identities. Absolutely. That's kind of why colourful was truly created for queer people of colour.
0: For you you're a change maker. you've done a lot of this in the past with obviously your your HR background. Mm -hmm. What do you personally think is the biggest drive of change, be it in diversity and inclusion, be it in mental health? I imagine there is a catalyst that kind of really propels change.
1: Mm. So I'm, I don't know if it's the sexiest answer, but what I've found for sure is that um, for me, data has always been the key. I'm finding that in order to shift the conversation around any aspect of diversity, be that mental health, the inclusion of like a particular strand, different identities. Um, There seems to be a lot of great rhetoric and a lot Mm -hmm. of talk around commitments and mission statements and goals and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I think what sometimes gets lost is uh, being led by data. (coughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, I've definitely been in rooms either with clients or in initial discussions with potential clients where there seems to be a strong feeling as to what the actual issues are. Mm And by that i don't mean necessarily um diagnosing which maybe underrepresented groups are suffering in some shape or form but it's almost like actually uh, we kind of think we know what the problem is like you know women don't feel confident and actually they just need some more development Mm -hmm. and those are the sort of things that just make me shudder in my soul because um the question i often ask is how do you know that what data do you have that tells you that that's the answer to that problem and i feel that actually it's using data intelligently And now there's a real trend in diversity and inclusion which looks at how organizations are networked and Mm -hmm. using artificial intelligence and data to see what are the interactions by looking at things such as your um, outlook email looking at your calendar invites looking at slack or facebook Mm -hmm. uh, facebook at work or workplace i think it's called you can actually start to see interactions so Mm -hmm. i think data is starting to become a really interesting way of thinking how do you shift conversations and how do you shift inclusion
0: and i think gaining that insight more and more and more as technology advances um, we have no real reason not to have that data Mm. that therefore then backs up our points and makes better workplaces makes people feel more included so yeah it's really you know slap on the wrist for those not using it really you grew up as a gay indian man
1: Mm -hmm.
0: what insights Mm. across all that we're discussing can you share Mm -hmm.
1: the biggest thing is this concept of intersectionality, mm-hmm. which is, it's not like I'm Indian one day and I'm gay another day, and therefore I kind of experience the, the things that happen as a result of those identities in isolation. Yeah. It's just that they might show up for me in a slightly different way. So homophobia might show up for me in a slightly different way for than for someone who might be a white gay man.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas racism, for example, may show up for me in a way that might be different for a woman mm-hmm. um, of, um, of color. So I think what I've learned is that being curious about those elements of people's identities and how they experience these common terms that we use, like privilege or microaggressions or um, inclusion or bullying, um, almost having to check myself to say, actually, I always thought that, you know, when you have a HR policy, there's language around bullying, harassment, discrimination, inclusion. And yet there's a really nice standard definition that maybe most people can understand. And it sets a baseline. But actually what that means for people, it can look very different. And actually, because it doesn't look the same for me, doesn't mean it didn't happen or that I can ignore those things. And I think that's something that I've become um, very aware of as I've become more knowledgeable about all things diversity and inclusion I think I would have almost poo-pooed other people's experiences um, because I didn't quite understand these concepts such as intersectionality and I think that then bleeds into how you think about mental health for example yeah, absolutely um, and just how my those different identities maybe have shaped the way that I look at myself how mm-hmm. I view myself how I bring myself to work um, Uh, that kind of critical inner voice that can be unhelpful Mm -hmm. the things that it says to me is likely to be markedly different. and it sounds so obvious even as i say it out loud but i remember thinking oh like if you have imposter syndrome for example probably sounds the same to all of us and yes there's commonality and we should find that but um i've become much more deliberate about understanding distinct experiences of people who are intersectional
0: I mean that's phenomenal for the for the people because, you know, I suppose my next question is about broader society mm. and how much education is needed about being part of the LGBT community because I do think there is a lack of understanding sometimes. Um I don't think it's always on purpose. Mm. Um, I don't think it's anything terribly malicious all the time. But I think there is definitely a lack of education. Mm. Um, what what are your thoughts?
1: Definitely. I think, like, I mean, let's, I'll start with a positive, which is that I would say kind of LGBT rights have definitely advanced. The mm. UK, I think most recently there was a study done and it's kind of completely blown, like just fallen from my mind at the moment. But the UK was sixth in the list of like safe LGBT kind of like countries to visit. And that's kind of assessed through a, a number of lenses. So like from discrimination at work, equal marriage, all these things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think... Um, We've definitely come a long way, and like Gen Z are seen as the most kind of like gender fluid and most likely to not identify as heterosexual than any of the generations that preceded them. Yeah. So I think that actually talking about sexuality, gender identity, sexual, ex- uh, gender expression, sorry, these different constructs it's starting to become a bit more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's positive. Yeah. And then you see things like RuPaul's Drag Race, which are bringing kind of different elements of queer culture. Yeah into the mainstream. I know, um, especially now that it's like, has just literally finished in the UK. is amazing. Like, you know, the fact that these shows are even being considered by an organisation like the BBC,
2: yeah.
1: um, for me, like, blows my mind. And I say this as someone who worked at the BBC. Yeah. I never <laughs> ever expected that commissioning decision, but power to them. Definitely. But I think um, where there's still work to be done is around maybe some of the behaviours that I talked about at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is that we know... People under the age of 26, particularly if they identify as trans, almost half of them have attempted to commit suicide. Um, half? Huh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And given that they're more likely to identify in that way, the yeah. fact that half of them have contemplated or attempted suicide um, <clears> is shocking. <throat> like For me, it makes me think the world still has to do a lot growing up.
0: But it's just that, it's, I suppose it's that area of I'm not accepted, yeah. you know, and that, and that's sort of primarily leading to those thoughts, yeah. I'd imagine.
1: And, and, you know, with the swirl of like LGBT identities, because it's not like the colour of your skin, which is just the colour of your skin or your gen um, biological sex as a female and man. I never get that right. Biological sex, female and male. And See, I'm schooling myself as I go through this. And it just shows, <laughs> but it shows like,
0: like, you're human as well. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't all kind of systematically
1: know exactly what to say all the time <laughs> exactly and you know like and, and I think that's a really important thing so with things like this around like language and uh, the acceptance of the queer community it's progress not perfection Absolutely. in the words of good old Jamila Jamil um but yeah. I, I also think it's there are some things that worry me more which I would definitely say are kind of trans and non-binary individuals in the spectrum uh the rhetoric against them is really hateful both in kind of like the press but also around like the gender recognition act um i will say this but as a queer person of color um the experience of being queer as a person of color versus someone who's white even within the community um can be challenging so sexual racism for example exists preferences around we don't want to date asians we don't want to date black people so i think all these things can definitely affect a person's mental health so I think there's work to be done within our community yeah. as much as we do work with the outside
0: And do you world. think that, because that's actually a really interesting point. I think um, a lot of, you know, I've, you know, as, as, as you know, I've, I've written across HR for a while now mm-hmm. and now now in mental health. And it's, it's a, certainly LGBT is, is a subject that I've always been so invested in and written about. And I do think it's phenomenally important, especially in workplaces to have that education. <clears throat> I think it's a really important point that you make the internal Within the community, Mm -hmm. because I don't think that's probably thought about from the outside. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's just giving me food for thought here.
1: Definitely. (laughs) And I think, like, even in the workplace, I, if you were to, and I've done this type of work with clients before, which is looking at the inclusion slash engagement score Mm -hmm. within the spectrum, and often you'll find women who identify as lesbian, bisexual, tend to feel that the workplace is less favorable. For them, compared to male people who identify as gay or bisexual, so it's even interesting. Even within that group, Mm. people have different experiences, which then takes a toll on their mental health.
0: And just from your perspective, because you're wonderful and insightful, why (laughs) do you think that is? Why do you think um, women might feel that way as opposed Mm. to men?
1: Mm. So I think we come back to um, intersectionality again, which is it's a double whammy you're dealing with your gender and your sexuality mm. and so you're dealing with both those elements so you're navigating rooms where as you say you're predominantly male organization or maybe men hold positions of power mm-hmm. so not only do you have to navigate your gender I'm assuming in those situations you also know that you're different in that you're who you're attracted to and who you, who you love um is also different so I think when you're dealing with more than one aspect of your identity that isn't considered normal, and I use that word deliberately, mm-hmm. um, I think it compounds um, the effect of your experiences.
0: Definitely. And I just want to pick up on a point that you mentioned about how Gen Z is the most non-termed mm. um, generation as it were yeah um and the element of sort of different levels of of sexuality Mm. do you think that's sort of an empowering thing do you think that that could have positive impacts on mental health
1: definitely if if the world is ready to support those individuals Mm -hmm. and accept them so i think the positive side of it is you've got more identities which can be confusing and you and it you know, like I said, I'm still learning yeah. and I'm a member of that community. I think
0: everyone is in an interested way. You know, mm. it's, there's a lot to, to take on.
1: And I think w- what <clears throat> that does is because for me, like sexuality, I think, is a contentious topic because obviously the, if you have the intersection of faith, there are some faith groups mm. that believe that it does not exist and that it's a choice and it's a, it's a prohibited lifestyle. So for me, like I said, I find sexuality really can be quite emotive and evoke a number of different reactions in people so I think that the more identities and the more that people feel able to talk about those identities can only be a positive thing because you can't ignore it Um, and it begins to normalize it and bring it into the vernacular of everyday society my worry is is that for those that are pioneering as a generation again is the world set up to support them and their mental health because it won't be easy Mm -hmm. I instinctively know that Um, it still isn't easy based on the data and the statistics that we see. So my worry is that how is, like, even if we just think of the UK, how are our mental health services and our provisions
2: Mm.
1: prepared for um, individuals who may be in that spectrum who need those services? Mm -hmm. I think the, the government did a survey in 2017, which was like the National LGBT Survey, and it looked at various aspects of an LGBT person's life. And overall the satisfaction with the quality of life and that you know looks at education health all those indicators was low i think it was 7.7 for heterosexual people and it was something like six for someone who identified as lgb for those that were trans or um, gender fluid or non-binary mm-hmm. and the score was something like 4.9 oh, out gosh. Of 10. yeah,
2: that's um, that
1: is low. Yeah. it's just interesting how that will play into Um, maybe the way that services are shaped so I think group like um, providers or be that the NHS private providers um, will be looking ahead at these demographic trends Mm -hmm. to think about actually what do these individuals need Mm -hmm. in order to succeed and be mentally fit
0: yeah absolutely um so coming back to you again um (laughs) You know, can you recall an, a specific experience that impacted you mentally and how you you got through it?
1: Maybe in the context of what we're talking about, the most relevant thing I I look back on is not coming out mm. and repressing that part of my identity until I was almost in my early thirties.
0: Wow, that's a long time.
1: Because I'm thirty eight now,
0: mm-hmm. so
1: I've only been like fully out. I would say since I, think I was thirty-one. Wow. So great seven years <laughs> in terms of being out, yeah. <laughs> and and like life has changed for the better. Yeah. And I I recognise that I'm lucky and there's privilege in that. But if I think about that chunk of my life where um, yeah I never uttered those words that I'm gay, and so as a result I covered up a huge amount about myself mm-hmm. and my life. And I still remember um, working uh, at the BBC, which actually is probably one of the most pro-LGBT places um, to work, relatively, in like in terms of, like, most organisations. Um, but uh, just people talking about their weekends and simple things like what they were going to do and who they were going to do it with mm-hmm. and feeling that, um, yeah, just not feeling able to be open mm-hmm. and speak up and that, kind of feeling of dread I would feel when those conversations would happen like what did you get up to over the weekend or um, what are you planning to do over the weekend or conversations about dating or significant others Mm -hmm. um and kind of something that's uh reported on in other kind of like studies and books and things that I've read and actually just other people's experiences that you um We all, if you're a minority group, regardless of your identity, you find different ways to compensate. Mm -hmm. So my kind of approach to dealing with that, which I think then placed me under more mental pressure, was to be an overachiever. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. aiming for a good performance rating. I wanted to be, like, outstanding or Mm -hmm. exceeding.
0: And that totally loops back to what you were saying earlier about, yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm. And so when I look back on that, I think, God, I really put myself under... um, a lot of pressure. Pressure to hide a part of myself, a pressure to be seen as normal and conform to whatever heteronormative view I had of mm-hmm. society. And then pressure to be absolutely amazing, because if it wasn't my sexuality, it could be my race that maybe held me back. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to progress in my career. And that meant being more visible, taking on more development opportunities, taking on um, maybe almost over committing in my objectives to deliver what I look back on is like, you know, foundational pieces of work that really helped my career. I benefited, mm-hmm. um, my career did develop, but um, it definitely came at a cost where, uh, your yeah, work became almost a singular focus, um, which probably did affect my ability to build like a relationship with people, maybe even to connect with people mm-hmm. authentically. I think my teammates, if we ask them now, some of them who I'm friends with, when I did come out, it was kind of like, we kind of new already but also like it's just great that now we can talk to you about yeah, it
0: yeah like yeah.
1: we feel like we can now get to know you for who you really are
0: yeah there's no elephant in the room now um so sorry that was
1: a bit long-winded no
0: no absolutely no it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a big subject um question maybe big question um what was the turning point what what you know you had been um, obviously, not, not speaking about this for thirty one years. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know whether that is specifically in the workplace or whether that's in your personal life. I, I don't quite know, but you know, thirty one years. What what suddenly made you think, as a thirty one year old, mm. I'm, no, I am I am gonna I am gonna come out. I am mm-hmm. gonna I am gonna be me.
1: Um, so I had come out to friends outside friends. of work and people that were close. So my family didn't know, the workplace didn't know, and a small group of friends sort of knew um and I think I think two things actually led to it um if I look back on it so one was exhaustion but that was preceded by heartbreak so I had been dating someone and had fallen in love and had thought actually I think I feel safe I've got the psychological safety of this relationship that if I come out and the world rejects me be that the workplace or my family mm. I've got a love to fall back on yeah And so I thought, okay, I've got that in the bank, and I can now kind of use that credit to navigate this other aspect of my life. And the other part was just kind of, like I said, just exhaustion, this kind of sense of, I am being this real discomfort of um, not being true to myself. So when that relationship ended, I thought, actually, I'm really exhausted because do I now have to find another partner, build a relationship, fall in love, just in order to liberate myself, I'm tired of doing that. I can't put all my eggs in that basket in order to be true to myself. I'm just tired. And I think um, going through that period, which was really you know, upsetting at the time, I was thinking, <clears throat> and like my parents have no idea that their child is hurting. Like We're all meeting up. I remember we went for lunch. Um, like It was literally the next day after I'd broken up with my then boyfriend. And, and I was just functioning, barely, but I had to pretend to be normal. That's what I remember.
0: That must have been so hard.
1: Yeah. It like, was hard work. And I remember thinking, I can't do this anymore. So I think it was that combination of factors.
0: Yeah.
1: Bit of heartbreak. Bit of exhaustion. Mental exhaustion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just thought, I'm not covering up anymore.
0: But it is exhausting. Being, trying to be something or trying to please people in a way that you're not even sure whether it does please them. You've just kind of become this character. Mm. And... Um, Absolutely, yeah. No,
1: yes. you lose your sense of self. Uh, there's a point when you kind of look in the mirror and you think, "I'm not sure who I am anymore."
0: Yeah, yeah, that must be quite scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of <clears throat> moving forward, mm. what's what's next for day? What what what, what are you yeah. doing?
1: So um, I think I mentioned that I have now started my own business, Colourful, um, and it's yeah, it's uh, amazing. I feel like that's definitely culmination of um, my purpose as a whole so Mm -hmm. I feel like all that HR experience is really helpful in that understanding culture engagement performance etc definitely plays to it but now I feel that um, I'm looking to make the workplace and the world um, better for people like me simply Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean I have all the answers but I'm really excited about um, putting something fresh out there I feel like certainly the initial feedback that I'm having about colorful is that it feels quite distinctive. It doesn't feel like a typical DNI consultancy mm-hmm. or a business and I don't want it to be. Um, it's definitely got an element which is around um, working with business, mm-hmm. businesses to make them inclusive or help them be more inclusive. But what I really love is like the kind of storytelling part, which is amplifying role models, finding those voices, celebrating them. Um, people's stories, I think that's kind of what leads to change in society, be that mental health, be that LGBTQ, be that race, um, yeah I'm Definitely. really excited
0: I think the point you picked up on there is, is the role models piece you know if you look and you see someone of or, or, you know anyone you admire who um, has maybe broken the mould somewhat then there's nothing more inspiring than thinking oh I I can be like that too Yeah, that could be me one day
1: it's possible yeah. and there are more possibilities than the ones that we often maybe limit ourselves to sometimes we can have such blinkers on
0: mhm Definitely.
1: based on the experiences that we've had and it, you just need someone as you say who's different
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and I feel that that storytelling kind of like transcends like the workplace and society I feel like yeah. if you can show role models and tell stories and use that to uh, um, inspire people that are coming through um use it to connect with people in the workplace who might feel more confident about being out or talking about subjects that are contentious such as race you know I've done something positive so, yeah, it's also hope.
0: that element of you know showing people that it's okay to be a bit different and a bit maverick. Um, you know, we've we, I think as human beings, we've kind of got into this sort of confine of just c- um, being part of convention and doing things in a certain way because mm. that's the way we were kind of told to do it, and it's easier than doing something a bit out there. Definitely. But actually, the out there people, yeah, are the ones that are changing. They are making the change, and completely. And I, I personally very much admire that, and I suppose with eighty-seven percent, this is a kind of movement that we're trying to drive mm. with uh, supporting the nation's mental health. Um, and you know, we we do have to take risks at times. We do have to yeah. say things a little bit outlandish. Um, all true, yes, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, But you know, we have to we have to be news. that point of difference. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No fake news, news. here.
1: <laughs> but I think it, it, it's <clears throat> I think it's important to not be scared as you say of taking a position as you say based on like information data mm-hmm. and being willing to stand up and speak about it and do work that furthers that cause and makes things different I was definitely given some advice even about colourful which is you might be pigeonholing yourself if you just only look at the the kind of aspects of like LGBTQ people and race that work and maybe just that intersection and I you know I said but I'm not qualified to talk about disability for example um or a woman's experience that's not who i am would i like to know brilliant people and have an alliance and a network that we're all creating change together absolutely but i kind of know what i stand for and what i feel i can confidently speak to and that can have a broader benefit beyond just for those groups because actually if you make the world more inclusive everyone benefits in some shape or form but um yeah for me actually it was really important to say actually these are the things i stand for because i actually think that um that has, like, kind of, as much as Colourful's helping, like, I'm helping Colourful and starting it, it's helping me. It's definitely helped my sense of worth, myself, um, my mental health. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, everything's aligned, so I feel I'm being authentic.
0: Fantastic. Well, that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, well, I feel a lot more colourful now <laughs> after talking to you. Um, I try you- my best. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, <the> a human rainbow. And <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming in and no, talking thank you for to having me. Day.